friends, I'm JP. And I'm Drew, and you're listening to the Broken But Beautiful podcast, where we talk about why church is still worth it. JP, welcome to the first episode of our podcast. I'm excited. Yeah, we made it through 2020, and we're sitting in your dining room on a snowy Tuesday morning in Nashville, Tennessee. Who would have thought? My kids were outside trying to play in this and I kept thinking, it's not enough girls, but they were into it. So I'm proud of them. Yeah. So yeah, 2021, we made it. I saw I saw a meme the other day that said, uh, turns out 2020 wasn't the problem. Uh, we're the problem. That falls under the, the sad but true, but that's going to be kind of what we're talking about today when we talk about brokenness and what it means to admit um, our brokenness, our mistakes, uh, our sin. So we're going to be doing that. But before we get into that, let's let's give a little background. Let's tell folks a little bit more about ourselves. Yeah. Uh, JP and I have known each other for a while now. Our families have known each other for a while. Uh, we both have spent some uh, time around churches, believe it or not. We're both ministers. Yeah. And Drew, it's funny how our lives have intersected at different times. So as a kid growing up in Tennessee, I remember times that your grandparents would come through and visit us because uh, your grandparents, my parents are friends going back to the late 60s when they worked together at a Christian summer camp in Maine. And then after I graduated high school, I went spent four years in Texas going to college, and then I ended up in Connecticut, and I would run into your family every now and then at different church gatherings and stuff going on. And then years later, uh, you're at Lipscomb as a student. Uh, I'm teaching some at Lipscomb, and we connected then. And now, as you said, we both find ourselves ministering in Nashville. Uh, Don't let that scare you away from the podcast. I hope you still continue to listen. Uh, But I grew up in New Hampshire, way up north, so I'm used to way more snow than this this morning. Um, my great grandfather was a preacher. My grandfather was a preacher. My dad is a preacher. And lo and behold, I find myself working for a church now. Who would have ever guessed? You at the Donaldson Church of Christ and and me at the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. And we're excited about this conversation. So what we wanted to do, we wanted to have our first three episodes where we go through the flow of, of the book that I published uh, just last November, Broken But Beautiful, Why Church Is Still Worth It. JP and I have seen plenty and plenty of times that the church has been broken but beautiful, and we're so excited to share some of that with you. So we're going to be going through that flow, and then we're going to start bringing on some guests. We've already done some interviews, and we're going to start talking to people about this theme because we really want to cultivate and lean into a conversation of, hey, let's be honest about the bad stuff, but let's also name the good stuff. Like it's not all bad, but it begins by, by admitting the bad. But, uh, with that said, we're not here to air our dirty laundry. (laughs) We're not here to um, expose secrets of of various people or to drop names or to tell, um, stories that, that, that maybe we don't have permission to tell, but we are going to seek to be honest. Yeah. We're aware that the longer you spend in church, the longer you, uh, are more likely to be around other people's sin or other people's trauma. And the last thing we want to do is evoke some of the memories of that because uh, people go through deep, hard stuff every day and then they bring it to church, which is a deeply beautiful thing. But the last thing we want to do is share all these things that people have shared with us over the years 
and feel like we're exposing them in some way. No, what we're here to do is talk about, yes, church is broken and there is brokenness in the world, but out of that comes beautiful, beautiful things. And to be a part of the church, we believe, is something that it's far more valuable than we could ever describe. Um, So JP helped me teach a class at my church based on his book uh, a few months ago. And I just kept saying, we're talking about broken stuff. And that's hard. And that's not fun. But in order to get to the beauty, you've got to walk through the brokenness. So don't turn this podcast off. Don't turn this episode off. We're talking about the brokenness of the church today. And that can be kind of sad in some ways. But we got to walk through the hard stuff in order to get to the beautiful stuff. One of my enduring memories of childhood in church, as wonderful as it was, and we're going to tell those stories, is that there seemed, the people seemed to be deeply flawed. So I had deep respect for the leaders of my church and run around as a kid, church playground, run through the hallways of the church, like so many good memories. I had deep respect for the people there, but I also had this sense that, that people are deeply flawed. And one of the the core things that I remember being taught was, hey, we've all sinned, like all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And I'm thankful that so many people were open about that when I was a child. It was tough at times. I remember a time when our church was going through, you know, a theological disagreement. People were on the outs, were concerned. Some people were thinking about leaving the church. And it was a very stressful time. And then later we discovered that two of our church leaders had both been involved in deep sexual sin while that was going on in two separate incidences. And I remember when that came out, it just, it just hovered. I remember being at a church where one of the ministers had, had ran off and, and left with a single woman at church and they went off and got married and started a life. And, and it was just, hard. Like I remember walking around and just people were in a fog at how difficult and challenging. And it was kind of this sense like, <laughs> how are we going to go in there on Sunday and worship when this is who we are? And people in the community hear these stories and they're like, oh yeah, that's the church where so-and-so ran off with so-and-so. I mean, I remember some years ago, there was there was an emotional affair at a church I was a part of. There was a violation of trust. A family was going to have to leave. And, and people were seeking to ask forgiveness and do the right thing and make amends. But I'll just never forget, this is so hard. And the cloud that just hovered over everyone because we're like, we felt like, you feel like you're chasing this divine goodness, but it is always outside your grasp with this reminder as you look in the mirror and like, no, this is really who we are. Yeah, there's the side of it when you're in the church and you're a member of that community and all that brokenness is going on and you just feel the weight of it. And then there's the other side of it where Maybe it happens with a high profile figure and it happens in the community and then it's in the newspaper and it's on your Twitter feed and everyone's like, I can't believe that person, that person who I put so much of my trust in, who was so helpful in my formation. I can't believe that person is so broken. And so that just weighs on the community. And so people can look at the brokenness of church 
from two different perspectives. They can say, I'm in that broken church and that's heavy. Or they can say, that church is so broken, I don't want to be a part of it. And it begs the question, why would I ever want to be a part of a church if there's that much brokenness potential? And that's the question people ask. I mean, I've sat with people that said, he told me this, she told me this, and then they went and did the opposite of what they told me. They also told me Jesus rose from the dead. Is that part true? Because the other part didn't seem to be true. Is that true? And it it leads to a lot of suspicion. It leads to a lot of dis- distrust of church. And we've seen rampant uh, a rampant decline in trust of, of major institutions in our society, at least going back to the 60s. And we could talk about that. Distrust of government, distrust of education, distrust of healthcare, distrust of banks and financial institutions. And that distrust has gone to the church as well. And when I really began to understand this, it was in the early 2000s, I was ministering in, in Connecticut. And I think it was 2003, the Boston Globe broke the, the Catholic priest abuse scandal. If you've not watched the movie Spotlight, you need to go watch it. It's just an incredible movie in general, but it, if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, this kind of highlights that, the movie Spotlight. Absolutely. And anytime I mention the Catholic priest abuse scandal, I, I do want to confess that that Protestants have, have their fair share of, of this type of thing too. But I remember thinking, people are really going to be suspicious of Catholics after this. But I remember one day I was hanging out with a teenager, and I can't remember if this was after a service or if it was at some youth event or something. And I was talking to him, and and his father did not attend our church, but he came with his mom. I'm trying to remember the exact situation, but he, he looked at me and he said, Hey, JP, my dad told me that if you ever try anything on me, to let him know. And this was like slowly sinking into me. I was probably 24, 25 years old at the time that he's basically, this father has prepared his son that I might abuse him. And if I if I try anything or if it looks like that, he should let him know. And I immediately felt this defensiveness within me like, why in the world would I be accused of this or just the inference? And I remember blood kind of rushed into my face. But then I realized, oh, I know why. The father told his son that. And someday when I have kids, I'll probably tell my kids the same thing. Like he's being a good father. And so I just remember kind of mumbled to him. I'm like, yeah, you're, yeah, I can see why your dad did that. There's a lot of sad things that have happened. But it was at that moment I was like, oh man, they're not just suspicious of that group of Christians. The suspicion cloud is on all of us. As I mentioned, I grew up as a fourth generation preacher's kid and I grew up in a part of the country that's largely unchurched. So very few people in my high school were regular attendees in some sort of church scenario. And so it also just happened that my house was the house where all of my friends would come and hang out after school. It was like the most central location we would hang out. And everyone knew that my dad was a minister at a church. But I don't think many of them knew like what all that entailed. But it was very evident that they were like, okay, his dad's the minister. So what can we really say? And and what JP was mentioning, like all of this stuff, especially in the New England, Boston area, there's there was just this growing distrust with formalized religion. I remember uh, there was at one point in my growing up, seemed like there were a few families that joined our church at the same time. 
And I was like, oh, well, where are all these people coming from? Like the church is growing. That is awesome. And the more I thought about it, I was like, these people, I'm hearing stories where they're coming from the same place. And uh, there was this movement of churches in Boston that were really big on discipleship. And some of that discipleship ended up being fairly manipulative or so some of the stories were told. And so they were trying to flee from some of that and they happened to find refuge in our church. And it was just fascinating to see who trusted who within churches, because this doesn't just happen within the church. It's just like, I'm always evaluating, like, who do I trust with my brokenness and who do I not trust with my brokenness? And once the trust is gone and you have full, full-blown suspicion, it is, it is just really hard to navigate what type of participation are we going to be able to have socially as a church? So I think back to a young man that I was very close to and his parents' marriage fell apart. And I'll tell you, having been around that scenario, there were plenty of things on both sides to point fingers at. Okay, there was there was a lot of brokenness in this in this family's marriage. But one Sunday after service, um, a group of folks went up to his his mother, and I'm sure in their mind it was really well intentioned. They were trying to hold her accountable. Marriage is a good thing, type of thing. But it it hit her wrong, and it came across to her like she was being attacked, and her husband's sin was being minimized, and her sin was being maximized, and so she kind of in a very frustrating, frustrated fashion, kind of walked out. And she passed that story on to her son. And the son felt like his mother was being attacked. And, and he said, JP, like, aren't we supposed to be people of love? And my mother was attacked. And and I could have sat there and tried to explain church accountability for hours. And, and there's a conversation to be had there, for sure. But it was really clear in his mind, I trusted this group of people. The trust is broken now I have suspicion towards them. And, and I think for, for people of faith, for, for church-going Christians, I think it's really easy to be defensive about this and say, well, why are they suspicious towards, towards me? I understand maybe that group of people did this or that group of people did this, but it seems unfair to be suspicious of me. I think a lot of, of us can look at what happened in D.C. last Wednesday and say, that wasn't us. If you're listening to this podcast later, we're referring to all of the uh, riots and the break-in at the Capitol that happened on Wednesday, January 6th. And so it's it's entirely possible to look at that and go, those are the people who are defending my religion. Those are the people who are defending my worldview. Those are the people who are defending my church. I, I don't know that I get along with them. Yeah. And we can spend all day saying, this is unfair. I didn't nominate those people to be my spokesperson. But we just have to understand that that's, that's how it comes across to so many people, that widespread association, the widespread suspicion. And we know what happens. People disengage from church. And over time, many of those disengage from the Christian faith. It begins to raise up all of these questions about like, what have I believed? Or what am I buying into? And and so it's possible to be suspicious of other organizations and other churches and, and go, I don't really know if I trust them or I'm kind of suspicious about what's going on there. But then you also begin to look at your own context and you're like, ooh, I, I don't know what I believe about my own current context. But various things begin to get associated with the Christian faith. And so in a lot of people's minds, that was us. 
And friends, I tell you, you can fight that all day long if you want to, but like at the end of the day, the cloud of suspicion and distrust hovers among American churches. So the question then becomes, what do we do about it? And a lot of this goes back to the inability of the church to really process human brokenness. We see this in the statistics. In American culture now, we have about 20% of our country that has no faith that they identify with. Sometimes we refer to them as as the nuns. And that's uh, nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not <laughs> nuns, N-U-N-S. We have about 10% of our population that formally attended church, but now they don't attend at all. And, and it's not like, oh, they feel guilty, so they point to a church they went to a year ago. No, like they say, I do not have a church, and I'm at peace with that, okay? And that's about 10% of the population. So there has been widespread withdrawal from our churches because of the cloud of suspicion and distrust. It's just so interesting because I, I feel this within myself sometimes, and I work at a church. I'm a strong advocate for the church. I'm like, ooh, there's some things that I'm like, do I really want people to associate me with these things that are going on? Therefore, within myself, even as a pastor myself, I want to withdraw and I, I want to isolate. What I've seen some churches do is the opposite of what we're trying to do in this podcast. In this podcast, we're trying to talk about the brokenness and dwell in it a little bit and grieve in it a little bit and then find the beauty out of it. Some churches, they just find the brokenness and they go, great, ignored, move on, here's the beauty of it. <laughs> yeah, And that's not entirely healthy, but it's, it's just this, some churches have defaulted to uh, what JP points out in his book called The Gospel of Sin Management. And it's like, okay, well, we've got the sin, let's do what we can to move on past the sin. We have to make that move eventually, but you can't find the beauty and all of this unless you sit in the brokenness and grieve. And those who withdraw and isolate themselves and find themselves in loneliness, sometimes they just don't find the opportunities to do that grieving or to sit in that brokenness. I've been thinking about my grandparents a lot lately. The words confession and repentance showed up a lot in the sermons they would listen to and in the Christian literature they would read. And there were certainly times in my life that repentance and confession seemed maybe heavy handed or manipulative or even dark. But as we process these ideas and we look at Christian hypocrisy, it's taken me back to my grandparents' words a lot on the importance of repentance and confession and admitting the brokenness and, and going back towards Jesus because the other two options are just to ignore it and pretend it doesn't happen, which is not going to lead to good places, or or the continued widespread withdrawal that we're seeing, which isn't helpful. Like that, that leads more and more to the alienation and the atomization that we see in our society. We're social creatures. Like God designed us to be in community just as God in Trinity is in community. We're supposed to be in relationship and American relationships are, are such an all-time low right now because of polarization, because of alienation. We were in such a bad spot as a country to try to to try to fight a pandemic because we're so separated and and we need each other. And Drew, we're the type of people that we think we think the church can be a huge asset in this. We think the church can bring people together. We think it can be 
a great force of, of social and spiritual cohesion, but, but we've got to admit the bad stuff. So far, we've talked about there's all this brokenness surrounding church. There's all this hypocrisy, which leads to this suspicion and distrust and people saying, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. And so when they say they don't know if they want to be a part of it or not, they start to walk away. And then they start to isolate themselves. And so now the question is, uh, okay, what does the church do with that? Like, how do we respond? How do we counteract some of that suspicion and distrust? And how do we invite people back into that? Which sounds like a really good thing that the church should do. Like, we want to invite people to come back and be a part of good, holy community. But the church hasn't always done it well. Yeah, I think a big response that the church has had to the decline has been to try to find a way to get people back. But that has often been through a consumerist lens, through religious consumerism. So basically, what would it take to get you to come back? And we're going to use branding tactics and advertising and marketing tactics from business culture to try to lure you back with fancy facilities with with energetic and high-powered worship and i'm not against well-done worship okay but we're going to try to make this an experience that you are willing to come to and we're going to lure you back and a lot of this is leveraged on the power of choice we give people so many choices now from a religious perspective and a lot of it is tried to hey let's make it easier we won't preach on the hard stuff we won't talk about the hard stuff we'll make it about you and we'll make it easier and we'll try to lure you to come back and so much of american christian culture has done this friends i confess i've done this at at, at times just because you want it you want people to come back jesus says my yoke is easy and my burden is light um but he he didn't mean discipleship is easy (laughs) Uh, discipleship is is challenging And sadly, I think what some churches have done, me included at times, has said, oh, no, we have all these people withdrawing. Well, let's water down what it means to be a Christian and make it easier. Let's lower the bar and maybe they'll stick around. And that has disastrous results. Yeah. One line that uh, has really stuck with me after reading JP's book, I'm going to promote your book as much as I can, because people, I think, should read it. It's a really uh, important piece of work for people who are questioning the worth of church, but but at one point you say, church made easy does not prepare one for the difficult work of carrying the cross. Church made easy does not prepare one for the difficult work of carrying the cross. And I'm reminded of that and I'm going, being a part of church and walking with people as they're trying to combat their own darkness, that has never been easy. But it's been some of the most worthwhile work to be a part of. And that's not just work for ministers like you and I are, JP, but that's work for the common people in church. That's that's work for people to do in their grocery store. Yeah. That's work for people to do with their next door neighbor. That's not just something that you go, okay, I'll just hear about somebody's problems once a week when I walk into the church building on Sunday. But it's something that you can do is to walk with people and pick up the call to discipleship that God has laid on our hearts. If you go to a church that is always telling you what you want to hear and is never asking you to do anything you don't want to do, I think you have to ask yourself, am I just participating in a form of religious consumerism? And I think that's a hard thing to say because we want our churches to be places that are encouraging. We don't want to just aggravate people for no reason. But 
following Jesus is hard. I mean, I've been processing a lot lately. What does it mean to love my enemies? What does it mean to turn the other cheek? What does it mean to, to pick up my cross and, and follow him? And these are hard things. So I think all this comes together. And this may seem counterintuitive in some ways, but the most important thing we can do is to say, yes, there's a problem. And I look in the mirror and I'm part of the problem. And I can't change everyone else, but I'm going to take ownership of the ways that I've been a part of the problem. And I'm going to try to be a, a different type of person. This story comes up in my mind a lot, Drew. And I, I didn't put it in the book because I wasn't sure how to how, how to say it. I was probably 12 years old when this happened. And this forever shaped the way I look at all these things we're talking about. So I went to a church at the time that had like a midweek gathering on Wednesday nights. We would all meet in the auditorium in the sanctuary for about 15 minutes. We'd read some scripture and sing. And then we'd go into different classes around around the building and uh the the preacher would offer an invitation every wednesday night and in other traditions you might call it an altar call or, or something like that i mean this was standard like it was an important thing that that we did and i remember this one wednesday night this guy came forward and and i don't know all the details but he had been involved in something that it was under the realm of sexual sin and it was it was the type of thing that that was unseemly, right? That that made people very nervous. The type of thing that 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 he was at least involved in on some level, and I remember him confessing and and asking for prayers, and I remember everybody in that room, and I don't know how many people were there, and my child, like mine, 150 people maybe, maybe 200 were there, and I remember there just being a stream of people that went down and hugged him. After he admitted that at least he did something that he, he shouldn't have done. And I don't know all the details. I don't know what happened with, with everything about that. This is, this is all I remember as a child is someone's admitting something bad. And we're not sweeping this under the rug. We're owning it. Because I remember this felt really uncomfortable to me as, as a child to like, are we admitting something wrong like this? But we admit something wrong and then we come together and we say... We can't begin the cleanup process until we admit something's broken. I don't know what these conversations have, have triggered for you as, as Drew and I have had these, but one of the things that's really important to us is if you are frustrated with the church, if you've experienced some of this brokenness, if you have caused some of this brokenness, we just want you to hear us say, we're sorry. We're sorry for the things the church has done. We're in an American context, so specifically, we're sorry for things the church has done in America. And we're not in denial about that. And to the extent that we're complicit, we ask for forgiveness. Yeah, we admit that uh, the church has done things to isolate people. The church has not always handled sin well, which is a funny thing to say because you would expect the church to be the one place where sin is handled well, but it hasn't always been handled well. And if your sin or your brokenness or your sadness or your loneliness has been responded to poorly by the church, we're sorry. We want you to find good community. 
where you can find connection with others, with God, with yourself. And we want you to find a place where you enjoy life because God has come to give life to its fullest. God has come to swallow up death and darkness with life. But it always hasn't been portrayed that way. And so if that's not been your experience with church, we're sorry. And I think of this every spring when we're leading up to Easter and we're doing all these hard stories in the Gospels and we're leading up to the cross. And I'm like, I just want to get to the resurrection. Can we not just get to the resurrection? But there's no resurrection unless there's first a cross. And I think that's the movement of this. So talking about some hard stuff uh, in this episode. Next episode, we're going to be talking about some really good stuff because Drew and I believe in the the power of the church through the Holy Spirit more than we ever have. And so we look forward to that next conversation uh, as we talk about all of the good and all the beauty that can come from church if we first admit all the broken stuff. If you've made it this far in the podcast, we applaud you. We thank you for listening. Again, it hasn't been the easiest to talk about, not the most fun to talk about, but it has to be talked about because... In order to move on from brokenness to beauty, you've got to trudge through it, and it's never easy. So thanks for listening this week. Uh, JP, episode one, we're through it. Episode one. We'll see you next time.